Hello and welcome to the Reds Unrestricted podcast. This is episode 18 and it's Friday the 21st of May 2021. Yeah, you join us um, on more positive notes, um, which hasn't been said all season, but any stretch of imagination. My name's Dan Club, and I'll be your host today, um, as ever. I'm joined by Dave Comerford, my co-host, so we'll check in with Dave to begin with. Um, how are we, and how have you enjoyed the last week? Well, I'm relieved that you've not thrown uh, trivia at me as retaliation. There's time, today. there's time, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm good. Um, I was just saying to you, but obviously before we started recording that, I'm sort of pleasantly surprised of the position that we're in because I sort of dismissed our top four chances after the uh, setbacks against Leeds and Newcastle. But just goes to show you the what can happen when you do put a run together. And that's what people like yourself have been saying all season, using that phrase, you know, put a run together and it can mm. kind of change everything. And that's, that's kind of what's happened. Yeah, so definitely a positive one. Um, and luckily enough, our guest this week is, I'm going to use Dave's word, esteemed writer, um, and content editor at Liverpool.com and also a contributor to the Anfield Wrap, and that's Dan Morgan. So we'll check in with you as well, Dan. How are we? And have you had a good week? Yeah, all good. Thanks, fellas. Um, aided by the results, obviously, mm. um, which always helps in a work capacity too. But yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, I'm sort of glad we're getting to the end of what's been a, a season, I think, in many ways, which will end up being forgotten. Yeah. In terms of Liverpool history, and, and obviously in terms of trophy success and and what we've been used to in the past couple of seasons, but it's just been one in which you know will be for the archives for all of its its craziness, its its endurance, its its mm. at times agony. Um, so yeah, it's it's felt like we all need a, a bit of a break at the end of this season. So just one more push now for for ourselves, and and I say ourselves because I think. You know, I think although we've not been there for the past year, we all need to make sure that we're aware of the fact that this is a journey for everyone and Jürgen Klopp wouldn't have it any other way. So we've all gone with them. We've all gone through the, the trials and tribulations of this season and hopefully we can we can all get the business done on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, and we're going to dig deeper into the season itself in a minute, but Klopp this week has basically bigged up the achievement where we to make top four and and I'm making dead right, but we might touch on that in the episode. But the main bulk of this episode is, as Dan kind of alluded to there, in terms of how we're going to reflect on this season. Well, we're going to start right away and look at our awards. We did a, a halfway sort of awards night, um, but we are going to go deeper into the awards. But first, we're going to touch on the result last night. Obviously, Burnley away, difficult place to go. But before all any of that, I am going to get you back, Dave. You didn't see that coming, did you? So we're going to do our debut of Who Am I? Um, and Dan, feel free, this is open to the floor. Um, Ex-Liverpool players, obviously. Um, and yeah, jump in whenever you think you know who it is. Guess away, absolutely no restrictions on guesses. So, he was born on the 10th of January 1984. He was born, it's down here, as Edge Hill, Liverpool. No guesses? Nothing? 84. He was born in Liverpool. Okay, okay, that's fine. Um, he played for England under-21s on eight occasions. Mm. He played four times in the Premier League for Liverpool. 
He played 10 times overall for Liverpool. And this is, we're getting to the bit now whereby you're probably going to start triggering. So we'll go, his other clubs include Hull City, Chester, Tramere Rovers, Grimsby Town, Berry. He was a centre midfielder. Is it? Is it Jace? No, it can't be Jace. No, 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 he's still going at Tram here, isn't he? Yeah. Um, not Dave Raven. Not Dave Raven. No, he was a defender. Good shout, though. Uh, yeah, he was. yeah. Um, um, he's still Josh. going. John Welsh. John Welsh, it is. See, the thing you forget, you forget that is. I edit these episodes so I can just edit that out because I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a bit of a leg up because I'm I'm born '86, so I just got to work. Similar age, yeah. It's, yeah, my, yeah, it's yeah. not my generation. It's not my generation. There um, you go, like, John Welsh. Very good. Right, well done. Anyway, um, Dan, not you, Dave. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll move on now. So, three word match review. We'll come back to you, Dan, considering you got it right. Um, three word match review on Burnley last night, please. Um. I would say slightly facetiously, um, never in doubt. <laughs> and I would I would say that because I think it's the first time in a long time that I've been relaxed around a Liverpool game. Um, prior to and also while watching it, I, I understand I'm not I'm not speaking for anyone else there, you know, people are rightly um people could rightly have been a bag of nerves last night and, and understandably with the context, but there was just something about them last night that never gave you an air that it was going to need another rescue act. Never, even when some of the chances were spared first half that were that were really good chances. There was just an element of control about Liverpool, which I think is playing into something bigger in terms of where we're seeing the league at at this current point. And I know I spoke at the top of the show about it, this being a condensed season, this being a chaotic season. I think we're seeing, especially since around Liverpool going to Old Trafford, the fatigue wearing on other teams. And I think mm. you can use United as a good a good example because they've absolutely got nothing against Fulham in the second half, for example, this week. Um, they can't offer a thing. And if I was them, I'd be, I'd be really worried about mm. that Europa League final. OK, adrenaline can maybe get you over 90 minutes, but... I think what we're seeing in general, the point I'm trying to generally make is that this is a, a tired league now. And I think it's playing into a lot of Liverpool's strengths. I think Liverpool's control over games in the last three or four is particular has been impressive. I think certain players, Thiago, mm. I think is, is a, a really key example of someone who's coming to the fore there. And I think all of that played out last night and, and Burnley will Burnley their way through a 90 minutes and in many ways, there's there's times and there's circumstances which can really help them do that and can really work for them. But I felt that yesterday you, you watched another another opposition come up against Liverpool and not really have any answer to Liverpool's superiority on the ball, Liverpool's ability to control the game, mm. and ultimately their ability to to carve open. And you know, I I, I would slightly go on a limb out on a limb and say that that kind of game state will probably play out again on Sunday. It's just about Liverpool being concentrated. Um taking it maybe taking a, a couple of chances a bit earlier, you'd say. But in general, yeah, it was it was one of the the first games in a long time where I've I've not sort of had to worry about Liverpool's ability to get over the line. 
That's that's massively interesting. I was on the other end of the spectrum, to be honest. I was nervous about it, and even when the game played out, you touched on the missed chances. I could just see it all happening all over again, the same old Groundhog Day sort of game we've seen. So it's an interesting take from you. Um, I'll get your opinion on it, Dave. Were you as cool, calm and collected as Dan in terms of thinking it was always in the bag? Um, or were you a bit more on my end and, as in being nervous? And also, obviously, your three-word review from it. Um, well, I'm naturally very nervous around around our games, to be honest. Um, but I honestly was yesterday during the second half, like beyond kind of the surface anxiety of it, I was feeling very, very confident, I'd say. Like I said, I put out a tweet after the match saying like there wasn't really any major scares. Like I think there was the shot cleared off the line, but other than that, we pretty much didn't offer them anything in the second half. I haven't got that second goal early on. So yeah, I agree uh, with what's been said there. Uh, in terms of my review, I've gone with an unexpected bonus uh, because you know, we said last week it was all about that. This Burnley game was all about grinding out a victory, and mm-hmm. we've used the phrase already: a uh, tough place to go for Burnley. And that's the perception that we have of them, and that's their uh, that's their reputation. So it seemed like it was one of those days where you just got to grind out the win and worry about the the goal difference issues that arose from the Chelsea results against Leicester. Worry about them mm-hmm. on Sunday. Just focus on the win here. But yeah. And I say bonus because 3-0 is obviously really kind of settles the goal difference question. Um, although, you know, Tottenham are Tottenham, so you never know, I suppose. But um, yeah, it was it was better than just job done. And I thought it was going to be a job done kind of night. So um, mm. very, very satisfied. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I really struggled with a three-word review, to be honest with you. For all the reasons you've both kind of mentioned, because... I was in between being petrified that the worst was going to happen. Like, I think Chris Wood had a chance, didn't he, as well, and he kind of got in behind Reese Williams and stuff like that. But at the same time, it always looked like we were going to carve them open at any, at any opportunity. And, you know, had we have hit the target more often, because, you know, without meaning to dig the lad out, that, that kid on debut looked like he wouldn't save a lot of stuff that was on target, to be honest. Um, and we missed a target for our first like five opportunities on goal, and he just fought one of them nights. But I went with um, rewarding nights work um, because Burnley is a difficult place to go, as we've already said. Um, and it wasn't a perfect Liverpool performance. I think I've said today it was it wasn't vintage Liverpool, but they worked hard. You know, your Nat Phillips of this world was outstanding. Um, and like you say, we got a massively important result, not just three points, but goal difference doesn't even come into it for me now on the weekend. We win. Then I think I think that's pretty much it to be fair. But um, we'll draw a line under Burnley um, for now, which I've wanted to do for a long time, um, and we'll move straight on to the awards because we've got quite a bit to get through. And we'll start with the unsung hero of the season. Um, I personally have got a few names down here, so I'll throw it out to you boys first. I'll come I'll come to you first, Dan, again on this. Um, who have you gone for for your Liverpool unsung hero this season? I think I think a lot of people with this would automatically look at someone like Nat Phillips, but mm. in many ways, I had to think about it today, and, and in many ways, I think now referring to Nat Phillips as unsung yeah. in some ways does him a disjustice. He's very much sung and deserves to be sung um, for his last sort of three months at Liverpool, and he's not somebody who should be going under the radar. He's, he's someone who's really massively stepped up, pushed his chest out. I was really impressed with his interview last night, mm. post-match, where he's just like, that's done, next one. 
you know, the, the concept of I'd rather clear one off the line than put one in. He's he's massively driven towards getting Liverpool to the best possible place they can be this season. So I've gone with Andy Robertson, to be honest. Um, and I think it's an interesting call in the sense that there'll be a lot of people who think Robertson hasn't had his best season and to, to many degrees, I'd agree with them. But when we're talking about sheer consistency, mm. minutes played, I think he started every Premier League game for yeah, Liverpool. Yeah, um, And the thing that you always get with Robertson as a character, as a footballer, he never shakes, he never goes missing. Um, he will always... He will always come off having the kilometers in his legs. He'll always come off, you know, with a with a well worn shirt. And I think, you know, last night again is is another example whereby that run he makes for for Roberto Firmino, um, his opening goal, he makes that run over ten times a game. Doesn't always get it. Oftentimes he just he does it to create a yard for someone else. And he is, you know, when you consider about how many years and how many sort of decades you could argue Liverpool went without solving the problem that was left back. You know, you could go back to early nineties and and soon that's era. Um Fabio would Elio apart maybe. Hmm. It was a it was a it was a position in which Liverpool just massively stuck plasters over for for the best part of, of twenty five years and then Andy Robertson comes and in, in every single sense, makes that position his own. And even though he hasn't had his best season in terms of output, and we say that with the knowledge that this, the standards he set for himself and Trent were absolutely ridiculous, mm. he's still showing up every week. He's still... How he's got through a, a season, I'm sure the, the sort of sports science department at Liverpool will be scratching their heads and thinking this guy is just a freak in many senses in terms of his, his physical and athletic output and the manner in which he's able to sort of turn himself around and be ready. And it's a commitment to him. Um, mm. It's a commitment to his commitment to this club. So I think in many ways, Robertson is unsung this season. Yeah, um, I'm going to come I'm gonna come straight to you, Dave, on that, and you'll understand why in a minute. So, yeah, any uh, alterations on that for us? Well, I, I, I kind of find what Dan was saying there, you know, very persuasive in a way. Um, I think the... The scare that Robertson had fitness-wise came, I think it was before that Leicester game after, after international duty, um, yeah. when the, I think he had some kind of muscle issue, um, but he, he managed to uh, to come through it. And obviously he's, you know, despite the fact Liverpool brought in a, a deputy option for him, he's, he's, he's been ever-present, he's been considered too valuable. So I think he, he has made sort of a compelling case there. You said before, Dan, though, that like this does loads of options for this. I actually, despite being the one who, who thought of the category, I actually struggled uh, a little bit with it. Because I think as a fan base, we are quite good at appreciating players who make an important but kind of understated contribution to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, so then maybe you think about play, whether the players have been appreciated like outside the club or, or something like that. Um, I've actually gone quite boldly, I'd say, with uh, Ozan Kabak um, for this. Um, so he's only made 13 appearances for us, um, and he might actually have made his last um, at this point. We'll mm-hmm. see about that. But I think coming in at the end of the January transfer window and making 
what was in a number of ways a, a huge step up, you know, in terms of the the quality. Um, he was surrounded by and, and the scrutiny as well. You know, he's played an important role in, in turning Liverpool season around, really. So we know we had a tricky start um, with the events of the Leicester game. And then in the derby, uh, Carragher was very much on his back, rightly or wrongly, uh, for failing to deal with some of the some of the long balls that were coming his way. But after that, really, he started to look very assured. And I think the partnership with Phillips was surprisingly uh, looking very encouraging. And there was a run of sort of three wins on the bounce against Wolves, Arsenal and Villa. That kind of stopped the rot and made you think, hang on, Liverpool can get get a top four out of this. And as far as I remember, Kabak was really good in that spell of games. And then obviously in Europe, you had the Leipzig tie as well, where he impressed. Mm. So I think he's unsung in the sense that it looks as if we're going to let him go and not take up an option to buy for 18 million. And mm. for me, you know, he's certainly done enough to justify a fee that low. And I do actually think it could be one that we come to regret uh, because like Kanate, who potentially will be the preferred candidate for the Kabak role, if you like, going forward, he too has a world-class potential from, from what I've seen and obviously he's still very young. So that's my sort of, what I'd say is a, a kind of an outsider shout for that award. Yeah, I think I think a few weeks ago, we'd have probably not classed him as unsung because like you rightly say, he was playing really well and he was playing a big part, but in the past few days, it does look like he's kind of just going to disappear into the ether a little bit. And, you know, for that reason, he probably does come into that category. So it's a very, very good shout. Um, the only the names I was kind of battling with were the likes of Wijnaldum, probably um, more controversial than any other. But for all the reasons said about Robertson, in a way, like his consistency this year in a, in a year that's been absolutely plagued by injury and unavailability, he has been available, like... He's been on the bench a couple of times, but that just clops decision as opposed to, you know, why now they're not being fit. So he was one. Um, I had Nat Phillips for all the reasons in terms of where he's come from, like at the start of the season, we never would have expected it. But like Dan said, you know, he's very much sung now. Like you can't go on Twitter without seeing the Bolton Bavese, et cetera, et cetera. Um, rightly so, by the way. Um, and the other one was probably Allison. Um, again, you know, he scored a goal on the weekend, so to call him unsung is outrageous. But that's only really been over the past few days. I think prior to that, he obviously had a difficult time a bit earlier in the season. But generally, his levels have been pretty good and he's kept us in some games. But having said all of that, it's Andy Robertson for me. I think there's nobody more fitting for that category this season. Like, And probably because his levels haven't been as good as they normally are. Like, if we're talking about him last year, he isn't unsung because we're all raving about him. He's been outstanding. But his actual performances have dipped in terms of like assists and chances created, etc. But like like Dan said, his effort has definitely not dipped. So he is a no-brainer for that category for me. I'd also um, I'd also just give a notable mention to Curtis Jones as well. Yeah. I think his development this season shouldn't go unnoticed. Um we were talking last season, especially the season before, you know, whether he even had a future at the club. Mm. Um, and I remember, although he scored the, the winner against Everton in the FA Cup, I thought tactically when he did make an appearance last season, he was he was very questionable at times, mm. um, especially before lockdown came in. And, you know, his development has been in many ways stratospheric. I think that, you know, you have to really consider as well the season 
and the, the Liverpool team he's come into. I think he's really sort of stood up and not shaked and really provided Liverpool with, with some important moments and, and really showed us that he can he can be a Liverpool first team player. He can adapt to what a Jurgen Klopp side wants and he can mm. he can work in a Liverpool midfield. So I think Kurt deserves a shout as well. Yeah, I think it's something we touched on quite a few weeks ago now. Um, and I think I brought up his defensive contributions have massively improved. Mm. Um, not in the same ilk as like a Fabinho, but in terms of his, his work ethic towards the job, like it's probably something he never really did coming through the ranks because he was better than everyone else. So he didn't have to do it. But you've got to do it in a Klopp side, like you say. So, And yeah, you touch on the moments, like you look at the Ajax winner that got us through and all that sort of stuff. So I think yeah. you the winner at Sheffield United as well, if I remember rightly. So. Yeah, big moments and, and a very good shout. But if we're going to pick one for me, it's Robertson. And I think, yeah, fair play to him. He's been absolutely outstanding again. And he's going to have about a day and a half break before the Euro starts. <laughs> so God knows what situation he'll be in when he gets back. But let's hope he's all right. Um, we'll move on to goal anyway. Um, goal of the season, that is. Um, I'm going to start us off because I don't want anyone else to say it. Um, and I'm going with Salah's second away at West Ham. Um, I thought it was a massive result anyway. It was just about the time we were beating everyone in London. That was about the only place we could win at the time. Um, and I think I think I counted before. I think it was seven touches after we defended a corner. Trent to Shaq, Shaq first time to uh, Salah. One touch and just dinked, dinked past Fabianski. And the reason I've gone for it is obviously a beautiful thing to look at, um, but also... That was probably as close to like what we've seen from Liverpool at the best in like the past two years this season. That was probably about as close as we've got. So for me, it will be that. Um, and Dave, I'll come to you for yours. Well, I've uh, I've gone for the same one. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, I, I said when we, we did this in January, uh, that there's a lot of ways you can judge a goal, you know. Yeah. You know, in terms of team move, individual brilliance, is it a screamer? What are the celebrations afterwards? How much does it mean? I mean, some people would say Alisson for goal of the season. Um, yeah. Justifiably. Um, in January, I went for the uh, Firmino goal. Yeah, we had Palace. we had Firmino. Firmino against Palace, Jota against Atalanta and Salah's volley against Leeds in January. But they've all gone out the window now by the looks of it. Which are, all, which are all very valid shouts still, I'd say. But, you know, that Firmino counter-attack was surpassed by the uh, the counter attack against West Ham for yeah. me. Um and yeah, I mean I, obviously you've you've covered it already and um and I don't really have too too much to add in it. I just think like the way Trent sort of fired the ball into so mm. much space for Shakiri was was a really nice a really nice touch from him and then the Shakiri pass is almost like slightly unorthodox because the elevation of it makes you think he's like overhit it. <laughs> But then it just drops perfectly for Salah, who mm. does really well to control it. And then the finish is just there, uh, so composed as well. And honestly, I think of maybe the defining factor in this for me is if you had to make me watch a goal a hundred times and not get bored, um, I think it would be that one. So, yeah, I'd agree with you on that. So, Dan, it's over to you. Are you going to wax lyrical about something else or are you joining us? Yeah, I'm joining, yeah. Um, yeah. I earmarked it earlier and, and I think it it had for me I remember it having sort of huge sort of Terry McDermott Tottenham vibes about it. Um that sort of one touch switch of play, that sort of swathe of, of the ball moving across the pitch, 
mm. like you've referenced the counter-attacking elements. But it's it's the touch from Salah. Mm. It's outrageous. It's it's one of the, the quintessential underrated Mohamed Salah sort of moments that just get brushed aside, but he just traps it perfectly, opens his body perfectly. I think it's interesting that game in many senses because we go on to have a real horrible run of about four to five results after there's the Leicester game in there, City, mm. Brighton at home, Fulham at home. And as bad as those results are, there was just something in that game that reminded you that this team's sort of modus operandi was still there. Yeah. And that if if it was able to cut loose and in some ways find a way to enjoy itself, it could still provide you with such incredible attacking football and an ability to just carve teams open from from their own corner. And there, there was just a little bit of muscle memory there that night that told you that, okay, you know, this this team still does does live within this this sort of hell that we're, we're sort of going <laughs> through in, in, in these winter months, which it was at times. And mm. it was just a little reminder, a little shot to the ribs of everyone. And, and when you look at it now, it's actually a massive result because yeah. of it was West Ham and because of where we are at this current moment and, it, it, it almost, you know, it, it makes something like a defeat at home to Fulham sort of counterbalance as bad as it was that you, you're able to sort of pick those up throughout the season and, and all of a sudden you find yourself within within a few points of, of reaching Champions League football in the last day. So mm. I think that game in general had meaning, but that goal was incredible. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty good uh, attempt at talking that off a performance of the season, which is where we're going next. Um I'll come to you though first, Dave, on this one. Um, I don't think I've been to you first yet. Um, so yeah, at the halfway point, I think we had Leeds on the first day, Atalanta 5-0, and I think the home victory over Wolves. So I'm going to guess we've gone away from them now, but at the same time, what have you got for us? Well, like honourable mentions, first of all, you've mentioned one already for me, Atalanta away. Mm. Leicester at home as well. Talked about it before when the injury crisis was probably at its worst point the whole season. Um Obviously, we won 3-0. 7-0 against Palace can't be discounted. Arsenal away as well. We, we made them look like a, a League One side in that mm. game. Um, and Old Trafford, the very recent contender as well. Our, I mean, our response to going behind in that game was the best it's been, I think, all season in terms of that, that kind of reaction. And for long periods of the game, we had them on the ropes. But I said when we did the January awards, which was straight after Tottenham, that... I was almost tempted to say the Tottenham game, but I didn't want to because of recency bias. <laughs> but now that time's passed, I think I am actually going to go with that one. Um, because, you know, thinking back to it, like we took our time getting the goal. It was kind of a, what's become quite a, a, almost a blueprint for the remainder of the season, really. Um, didn't score until first half stoppage time after waiting some chances, but then put it to bed in the second half after goals from Trent, who obviously produced a masterclass. And there was a goal from uh, Mane as well. And it came at the end of a, a pretty woeful month, uh, from what I remember. Um, and I think one of the three-word reviews after that game was that was Liverpool, because we reminded everyone what we were capable of. And it felt like a huge performance, like dig out, really. Um, and yeah, it wasn't the catalyst that we hoped it would be in terms of our form, sort of overall. Away from home, we've only actually lost one away game since then. So maybe there was maybe there's someone in that, but... I think the, the very most impressive thing about it, and I know it was against the Mourinho side, but it was how well we restricted Tottenham. 
Um, you know, they ended up, I checked this before, their XG at the end of that game was 0.13. And at the time, that was the third lowest any team had posted in any game all season. And obviously, the goal that they scored, I'm sure, came out of absolutely nothing. So mm. that, I'm not like absolutely adamant about this kind of nomination, if you like. Um, but I think, you know, that was probably the best. And it's one of those games, really, that kind of typifies the, the reality that even though Liverpool aren't second in the table, that they and Man City are still a class above the, you know, the sort of teams in that gaggle, really. And they just do have like way too much for them when they're at their best. Yeah, I think that final point's a really interesting one. It's something Dan touched upon in terms of muscle memory. And I think we have seen that from Liverpool at times. Um, and it does just remind you that everything might just be all right in the end. Um, hopefully, anyway. Um, but Dan, I will come straight to you um, on your performance of the season then. Yeah, I mean, I said earlier that I think this season eventually once it's all told and said and done, we'll play a few tricks of the mind on us when we look back at it in time. And I think there's there's ways in which it already is. So I think there's some performances earlier on in the season which almost feel like a lifetime ago and, and feel like a, a a sort of a grouped part of Liverpool's past when you were you were constantly winning trophies and, and think life was just, you know, effervescent supporting this club and I put I put performances like Chelsea away in there, mm. which at the time felt very routine. You look back at it now, it feels massive. For all of its um its darkness and how it would be remembered as a dark day in Liverpool's history, they play some incredible stuff at Everton away. Mm. Um, which shouldn't be forgotten. And if you ever watch that game back, they absolutely play Everton off the park, even when Van Dyke goes off. But I'm gonna go with Arsenal at home around the same time in the league um, breathtaking game of football it's one that if you can you should look back at, at, as one of the quintessential Jurgen Klopp performances they are Liverpool are breathtaking and they are relentless mm. and they do not stop for 90 minutes Sadio Mane is a man possessed he nearly gets sent off after about five yeah. minutes and it, it has absolutely everything to the point in which Jürgen Klopp is actually fronting Roy Keane because he thinks he said that Liverpool played badly in some yeah. form in the post-match interview. And then there's there's a really, really interesting post-match interview with Mikel Arteta who just shrugs his shoulders and laughs. And up until three, four months prior, this was the assistant manager of Manchester City who goes, I can set a team up to do everything I can against these and I can get them to press the lives out of them but you've got a fella who can ping a ball 60 yards while I'm putting a full press on onto the chest of their forward and they're out and he just laughs and shrugs and he and he actually says the words they are quality it's quality you can't do anything about them and I think we need you just both made a really valid point about remembering what this team is and what it's capable of that was this season that was still within this campaign. And I think we're going to have to sort of eventually find a way ourselves to just put what happens from sort of Boxing Day onwards in its own box and hopefully get back to that point before because it wasn't that long ago. And honest to God, the, the one thing I'm going to do, well, one of the things I'm going to do in terms of ref my own reflection of this season at some point is try and find that 90 minutes and watch it back because... 
it's an exhilarating Liverpool performance. It's one that'll go down as a forgotten one. But honestly, we should all watch it and remember what this team are capable of and the hunger that they've still got. It's very, very difficult to argue with any of that. It's a game I hadn't forgotten about necessarily, but as soon as you brought up the Arteta interview afterwards, it just kind of triggered in my mind. And I remember all of that now. And this season has been such a blur in many ways. And I think it's one at times every Liverpool fan has probably wanted to go away and wanted to forget all about. Like, you know, it felt like every week we were calling for it to be null and void at some point. So it's been brutal. Um, and in many ways, I think, you know, I'm quite looking forward to Sunday. If Obviously, hopefully Liverpool win, but more of the fact it's going to be over and we can hopefully put it to the, uh, the back of our minds and start again next season. Um, we are going to need a casting vote on this one, though, because with absolutely no worry about recency bias, I have gone with the Old Trafford victory. Because I don't think it was a vintage Liverpool performance again. I think, you know, we had errors in it, certainly defensively, which is to be expected with Williams and Phillips. But it's at Old Trafford. I know it's empty. None of us were there. That's terrible. But... Jurgen Klopp's record at Old Trafford was pretty, pretty bog standard before it, um, if we're honest. Considering the form we've gone there in previously and they've been pretty wretched, to not win previously has been a bit of a kick in the teeth every time. So to go there and win was great. But also it's looking like it could be crucial. So the magnitude of it and also like Dave very briefly touched upon the fact we actually went behind and, you know, the struggle this Liverpool team have had this season, if you can go behind Old Trafford against you know, a decent side with Nat Phillips and Meeks Williams playing centre-half, you think, God, we're in trouble. Um, but we weren't. We absolutely battered them from then on in, really. I know they got one back, but I thought that was a brilliant performance um, considering everything that's gone on. And like I say, it could be one of the defining moments that sees us getting the top four. So in terms of importance, I'd put it right up there. But we are going to need someone to decide, and it's not me this time, um, I'll come to you, Dave, because I can't come to Dan because he gave such a good argument for the Arsenal game. There's no, there's no winning there. So, Dave, I want you to decide. Um, very difficult. You know, it was a, it was a very compelling argument that that Dan made, and I almost wanted to see to him after he made it because uh, it, it was so well executed. But uh, do you know what? I'll go for Old Trafford. Um, I have my reservations about it because there was no fans there. Mm. Um. But at the same time, I think given the, the drought that we'd had and the way we exposed the golfing class between the two teams, I think if I have to choose um, between one of the two, I'd, I'd say that one. But there's no doubt that, that that Arsenal game, Liverpool literally gave Arsenal a goal, handed them a goal because they thought it was mm. too easy. So, <laughs> so I think that kind of says it all, really. So, yeah, um, I think for... Performance will say United will just about shade Well, I am delighted that you side with me, and um, that's good news. Um, but yeah, we will move on to player, the uh, most prestigious award of the night. Um, we're gonna do a one, two, three on this, um, just to make it a bit more interesting, um, add a bit more gravitas to it, but also because I've got a feeling I know where we might go with. Um, so I'll come to you, Dan, first on this. Um, quick explanation as to why you've picked them, um, what order, and your one, two, three on play of the season. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go one. Mohamed Salah. Uh, I think I could. I could try and be cute about it, but he's just a phenomenal footballer. Who, for me, 
doesn't get the credit he deserves um, across the game, to be honest. I think from a Liverpool point of view, he has elements of everyone a great Liverpool's great strikers about him. And I think that's probably the ultimate um the ultimate compliments I can pay him. I think I think we won't really know what we've got or had with Salah until he's gone. And in, in a season like this, you know, he stands at thirty one goals in all comps. He's mm. he's on course for the golden boot. I wouldn't be surprised if he's an absolute man possessed on Sunday because he wants to win the Golden Boot as well as playing the Champions League next season. And this sort of notion that Liverpool could cash in on him at some point to to, to fund a different attacker or a different way of of attacking, I think is just completely counterproductive as a conversation. I think Liverpool should be firstly maximising everything they can from from a player as good as Salah, um, but also enjoying him for as long mm. as they can. And I think that it's another shot in the arm this season to those who, for some reason, just doubt his, his impact, his ability, uh, as to how actual how actually good he is. I think he's, you know, he's, he's once again proven he's he is a phenomenal Liverpool striker, and he, he deserves to be up there. Second, I'd, it was tough. It was it was a toss up, um, but I'm going to go with Fabinho. Uh, I think that, I think that the 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 nature of what he's brought to Liverpool going back into the sixth role will in some ways or could in some ways undermine his ability defensively. I think that we can't forget the admirable job he's done at centre-half. And I think that you can't sort of therefore overlook some of his his attributes that we hadn't seen before until this season as a result. You know, his, his defending one-on-one is, I'd say, up there with, with the best in the game at centre-back. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think about... Chelsea earlier on the season, I referenced earlier, Timo Werner tries to tries mm. to square him up three or four times and gets absolutely nothing out of him. I think that he was rightly, if you like, impacted by the fact that he went from Gomez to Matip to to Nath Phillips to Reese Williams. You know, he, he was already out of position in many senses. But again, you know, like Robertson, like Wijnaldum, like we've all talked about, he's a player who has not shied away at any point during this season. And I think that you know, keeping him fit is, is a massive priority for Liverpool because I think there's there's a good argument in the fact that at times where Liverpool look to cheat on the pitch tactically, where Liverpool try to gain numerical advantages, he's key to that because he does so much in the position he does in third. I'll go with Trent. Um, a bit disrupted, a bit stop-start. I'm not even getting into the England stuff because it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. But I think what we're seeing now from the player is a sort of Gerard type leadership in the sense of I'll sort of show you by doing. Mm. And I have no doubts that he will be a future Liverpool captain, maybe the next Liverpool captain. And I think that what we will see is that kind of, which isn't always healthy, by the way, that sort of coattails when you need it, mm. where the Rovers type um last action hero sort of leadership that Gerard was almost famed for and, and like I say at times could be to Liverpool's detriment. But he's so talented that I think we're gonna see a footballer who, if he stays fit, will just decide that he's better than everyone else on the pitch. And that he's played these games a million times before the fight despite the fact that he's probably only just reaching his mid twenties. And that 
he has every sort of possible variation of how this this game can play out in his head and he's two, three, four passes before everyone else because I think that's what we're seeing now. I think it's interesting that Trent and Thiago sort of struck a, mm. a relationship up in recent games and I think that's because they've sort of figured out between themselves we are sort of ahead of everyone in terms of passing on the pitch here. Mm. We are sort of working this out between ourselves that this is where we need to be in two, three, four moves time and the evolution of him is interesting in many senses and I think that again that sort of not knowing what you've got until it's gone kind of thing it, it should apply to someone like Trent too because when you think about his, his delivery his, his ability at set pieces but also his defending one-on-one has been absolutely superb in recent months and I think Again, it's a tired argument that people still have, and I think that he deserves he deserves massive credit for for his sort of form. I'd say March onwards, uh, and I think that it bodes well for next season. Yeah, the, the word evolution, just to touch on the trend situation, there, is a really interesting one because the old argument of him moving into midfield at some point has been raging as well recently I've seen um, purely because he's kind of been popping up in there anyway like his starting position is so high 99% of the time he ends up as an auxiliary sort of like midfielder slash centre mid sometimes but and there's a moment in the game possibly against United where he was literally centre mid he was there for a good few minutes and he was spraying passes and he kind of thought I think the commentator ever it was might have alluded to it this could be him in a few years I mean his, his right-back role now is outstanding, so to move him is ridiculous. But you never know. It's really interesting what Liverpool have done in the past few games in that they've, I think they've purposefully created a lot of their play down the left mm. and they've really stretched Robertson and Mane. But, so if you take 19-20 and, and to an extent 18-19 as an example, they were always looking for the big switch. Yeah. And it was a big switch. It was, it was a total sort of byline-to-byline ball. Now what you're seeing is when they're stretching the left, Salah and Trent are really central the other side. Mm. So when it is coming over, it's coming over, and they're sort of you, you would you would call it an old-fashioned sort of inside right type of position. Yeah, I think you you've seen a few situations. Alexander Arnold against Villa, West Bromwich Albion the other day, where he gets the chance late on, mm. where he's already sort of ten maybe a little bit more yards inside than what he would be. They can stretch the play when they need to that side, both him and Salah. Mm. But I think it's 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 been a purposeful tactic from Liverpool to say, well, yeah. we stretch it one side and then when it comes over, it doesn't fully come over. We've mm. got these players who can really damage and they're already virtually an on goal. Yeah, there was a little interchange last night just to finish off on that um, between, I think it was Thiago Salah and Trent. And Thiago was in on goal. He dragged it wide, but... Those three in particular seem to be creating a serious partnership down that right hand side, which hopefully continue to develop. Um, but Dave, I will take your three, and again, you'll find out why in a minute. So, one to three, and a little bit of explanation, please. Uh, well, once again, it's the it's the same one, two, three, and the same order that we've heard. But I will just say a bit about the players individually. Um, you know, starting with Salah, like. I think the thing is, you could argue that this season he's actually had a better season than the previous two years, the seasons where Liverpool won the Champions League and the Premier League, because obviously obviously the goal tally kind of says that, but also the fact that 
you know, everything's almost come crashing down around him. And mm. Mane, another world-class winger, you know, he's his form's obviously gone off something of, of a cliff for, for a portion of the season. Um, so for him to maintain maintain his level is, you know, a, probably an underrated achievement, really, um, in, in a kind of a wider sense. And I also think that, I remember earlier in the season when Klopp described uh, Wijnaldum as the most consistent player yeah. um, of, of the of the season so far. I think that was probably unfair on Salah then. And, and were he to say the same now, it would be as well, because, you know, there has kind of not really been any sort of um, of dry patch, really. Um, and I think if he goes on to win the Golden Boot on Sunday, which I think he will, although I can imagine, uh, you know, we know what Harry Kane's like, he, he might end up having about 15 shots on his own in that, in that Leicester game. But I think he will. And if he does, then I'd have him on that six-man um, player of the year shortlist, for sure. And, you know, the, the superlatives are just running out, aren't they? Um, just to touch on the other, the other two, Fabinho, I think um, ha, we have. I think we have a. Don't know if this is just this in the calendar year or whether it's over the whole season. I think we've got a hundred percent record with Fabinho playing uh, in midfield, um, and as as Dan alluded to, like he's got, you know, his performances at centre back as well um, were excellent for the most part. So I think he, he's a clear second. And then there is a bit more debate around their place because Trent wasn't as good um, for sort of the first half of this season um, as he was the, the previous two. And obviously that is a massive standard to maintain. But let's, you know, let's not pretend that there wasn't, there wasn't something of a drop-off there. Um, but certainly in the second half of the season, as we were saying last week, Trent's probably being the best player. And I found what Dan was saying there really interesting about the sort of Gerard comparisons and you think about how young he is, the reality is that he's going to have to play in some teams that are nowhere near as good as this one, this kind of mm. the team from this era and he's looking increasingly like a player who, who is going to be able to drag those teams um, up a level himself and obviously that's something, that's an area where, where Gerard excelled and just to throw another name in like Diogo Jota um Spent obviously a very long time out with injury, uh, and you know had a few games recently where he wasn't quite up to it. But I do think that had he stayed fit the whole season, we'd be looking at someone scoring over twenty goals for sure, and he would would have been probably a shoe in for the top three. But because he didn't, um, and there's, it's kind of a small sample size, I think I think Trent probably deserves deserves that spot. But what have you what have you gone with then? Yeah, well, I could have said the same as you've just said about Jota, about Thiago. I think we're probably having a different conversation potentially um, with them two playing a full season. But as it is, we might have to show our workings out on this one because I've got exactly the same top three as you two, um, which just shows you that we're all amazing at what we do. <laughs> um, no, but genuinely, oh, I can't really add a lot. I think I was really made up. You both touched on Fabinho at centre-half because... He was he was really good there. Let, let's not beat him around the bush. He was he was properly decent there. Um, and to ask him to do that when he's probably the best in the world at what he does normally was a big ask. But he did it, and he did it really well. So he's in based on performances. But the fact he didn't shy away from that role, I think he publicly said he'd never done it before. I think he played right back at Monaco, but he'd never done centre half before, and he didn't particularly like it. But 
he did it and he did it really well. So that's testament to him. Um, and the other two, Salah speaks for himself numbers-wise and Trent, just outstanding football, like showing it more. And what I think the early season, you could you could put it down to, I think he had COVID, didn't he? And his calf injury, we weren't firing necessarily. Robertson was probably better for the first half. So difficult start for him, but he's more than made up for that since. Um, so yeah, uh, clean sweep on the top three. I didn't expect that, but that's uh, that's good news. Which takes us nicely onto our final little segment, um, which will be looking ahead to Roy Hodgson's last game of football management, which is the byline for this whole situation. He could come back and deny our Champions League football, not for the first time in his career. Um, so yeah, we'll go. I'll come back to you, Dave, straight away. Um, predicted lineup for it, a little bit into the game, and actual score prediction, please. Well, here's my worry. Uh, I'm feeling confident and I don't like feeling <laughs> confidence before before our games. Um, having the fans there and mm. the sense from the players um, in these recent games that they know what's at stake and what, what Dan mentioned earlier about Salah's pursuit of the golden boots. Plus Palace's situation. Um, I know they've obviously, there's obviously the Hodgson factor should be an extra motivation, but all of those things together seem to point towards only one outcome really yeah. um team wise first of all though i'd go unchanged uh i think this this talk isn't it, that jota might have a chance of, of mm. being involved but you'd think that was a chance of being on the bench uh maybe getting half an hour or something rather than a starting chance and maybe even if he was fit you know all season i've sort of well for a lot of the season i've sort of had him in ahead of for me you know when both were fit but you know for me you know was probably done well enough recently to keep his place. Um, one thing we haven't touched on really at all and could have maybe devoted the whole podcast to in itself is the possibility that Wijnaldum's about to play his last game in a Liverpool shirt. Um, mm. And I think obviously you had uh, you had Lovren uh, and Lallana. They both left last summer, didn't they? Um, like they were probably kind of squad players this is like the first yeah. really major departure of of the, the kind of era and the team, this kind of iconic team, really. So we'll, we'll see what kind of reception. Obviously, it's going to be a great reception, but we'll see whether it's got kind of that goodbye, goodbye feel to it, especially mm. if there's like a, a kind of lap of honour after after the game. Um, moving on to my prediction, uh, I've gone for I've gone for a 3-0 win. Uh you know, it's not going to be easy and, you know, you'd want to avoid complacency. Um, I think the fact that uh, is out for, for Palace mm. is, uh, is a big blow to them. Um, and it's actually, it was actually quite sad to see that injury, though. Um, but in terms of, you know, the players that they do have, um, obviously, Zaharo fans here. And um, you've got Ben Teke as well, who's in probably the best form he's been in since he, he left Liverpool, you'd argue. But... I do think Nat Phillips is someone who will kind of relish that that kind of battle with them and hopefully hopefully prevail in it. So yeah, I've gone for a three 0 win, but you know, equally like there is this kind of you could argue it's already been done the hard way, but if they wanted to really Liverpool it, maybe it ends as a draw and then Leicester Leicester end up drawing against Spurs as well. There's some maximum stress, but but no, all, all jokes aside, I do think. I've been saying for a few weeks, if we can get the wins in the other games, mm. this should be the 
one that you know we're going into and shouldn't have too many issues but you know let's see it certainly looks that way um i didn't need that little nightmare scenario played out in my head towards the end there i'll be honest um but yeah dan uh, i'll come to you and um, i suppose the question marks team wise are probably the likes of oxlade chamber obviously scored last night does he is he worth pursuing um curtis jones is another one and if you want to touch on the wine situation feel free but Team news and well, predicted team and predicted scoreline from you. I think the team in general picks itself that if everyone's okay from last night and they can get the recovery in from now until then, then I think it picks itself. I think it's massive having not just Oxley Chamberlain but but Mill on the back on the bench. Yeah. I think I spoke at the top of the show about an element of control and we've seen that from Liverpool in recent games. They're going to need that again. Um, I think Palace will take whatever fate is dealt to them, and I can I can mean that in a complimentary to, way too. And then it, if Liverpool dangle a carrot, they'll no doubt take it. You know they've they've bullishly gone with some variation of Townsend, Benteke, Zahar, and Ayew mm. in a front three between three of them four players um, over the past few games, and there's been incidents incident incident. Oh God, I can't say. <laughs> instances where it's worked for them and, and instances where it's it ends up a bit egg and face like last night mm. um, and it'll be interesting to see what Hodgson does in that sense because you know make no mistake they'll still have that 7-0 in the heads and they'll yeah. have it in the heads in the sense of if their first chance goes then this could get a bit messy and I don't think they'll want to do that for the manager I mean, like I say I think if they get the chance to be spoilers like anyone they'll maybe take it but from a team point of view I think it picks itself I think the adrenaline of having the supporters back in there mm-hmm. you know I was at, I was fortunate enough to be at Wolves in December mm-hmm. and the noise that 2,000 people could make really really took me back and I think it took the players back 10,000 in Anfield is going to feel absolutely huge mm-hmm. uh, so I think Liverpool will win the game. I think they'll they'll win three uh, one, and I think that if they can take an early chance, it will set the tone for for the afternoon. I think that the other thing, final thing to remember is this isn't Liverpool playing Middlesbrough in twenty sixteen. This is a team that's that's won European Cups, won Premier Leagues, gone at a rate of ninety seven points in a league season, and gone game for game, blow for blow. And as essentially what I'm saying, been in this position yeah. in some variation many, many times before. And okay, there's a lot of injuries. And okay, there's there's different personnel. But in terms of makeup, it's the same squad. They'll know what they need to do. The manager knows what he's got from those on the pitch. And you know, I think we've all just got to sort of go into it and in many ways somehow look to enjoy it. I think the enjoyment levels will come from um, the early goal that you alluded to there. I think that's massive. Um, and I think if we do get one, we could have a bit of a field day. That's certainly what I'm hoping anyway. Um, I think an early goal just settles everything. Um, and, and we run away with it, to be honest. I always fancy us generally um, when there's an attacking left-sided player on their team because someone like Zaha isn't going to want to run back with Trent all day. Um, and I think that could create a problem for Palace if they go sort of with what you expect Zaha on the left. I think 
trend could be, as he so often is recently, especially, could be the key. Um, I've gone with exactly the same team, uh, exactly the same team as you, but same as, same as last night. Um, and I've gone 3-0 Liverpool as well. Um, I just think they, there is a problem in terms of playing them and Hodgson's last game and Ben Zeke coming back and all the narratives are there, but, you know, we just need to forget all that and concentrate on what we need to do. Um, and that's obviously win the game. Um, but yeah, that will be just about all we've got time for. Um, but I will give the obligatory chance to you, Dan, to um, plug anything Twitter-wise, work-wise, whatever it may be. And I obviously want to say thanks for coming on. It's been properly brilliant. It really has. Um, but yeah, anything you want to plug, go ahead. No, no problem at all coming on. Um, in terms of plugging, you know, I'd, I'd just say give liverpool.com a look if you can it's we're trying to do something a little bit alternative over there in terms of not only the writing which is is really good from from people like Joel Rabinovitz Oliver Connolly um but also the aesthetics of the site mm. uh, it, it, there's some you know there's a bit of fun on there like we've had tonight in terms of uh, awards and and teams of the season and stuff but also you know a little bit in depth in terms of stats analysis whatever you want so yeah, if you haven't checked it out already, give it a look. And and obviously, you know, again, if if you you probably be aware of the Anfield rap, but I'm always over there too, and and write a column for them. So that's that's where you find me usually. Um, in general, yeah, I think we all sort of take our uh, our football inspiration from different places, don't we? But mm. uh, yeah, not a major to plug other than than my own stuff, which <laughs> might not be for you, but if it is, that's uh, that's where you can find it. No, that's, that's brilliant, that's sound. Um, Dave, I'll give you a word in. Um, and obviously, have you got any update nationwide, country, worldwide for us, I should say? Yeah, I do this time. Um, yes. I had a look yesterday and uh, we've got a we've got a Jamaican listener or listeners now. Okay. Um, so okay. I think that I think that is a really good one to add to the list. Ian it, Goodison from Tramia, maybe? <laughs> it, it did look like... Um, it did look like for a second that Spain was going to be the most uh, the most interesting new addition, but then then Jamaica came in. So I just really, I just really want one of these far flung listeners to be able to to actually get in touch with us because um, I think I just think that'd be great. But yeah. anyway, um, yeah, I just reiterate your your thanks to Dan and um, just to sort of throw it forward to Sunday as well. I think having that you'll never walk alone before the game. Uh with 10,000 10, voices singing it is going to be sort of a, a cathartic and, and actually mm. pretty emotional moment for for a lot of people um, after every everything that's happened this season with, you know, some of the players' personal losses, some of the fans' personal losses and, you know, obviously, you know, to a much lesser extent, the the toll we've we've taken on the field as well. Um, it is going to be, as I say, quite a cathartic moment. So that's something I'm looking forward to and it, yeah. it is nice to be able to to have those emotions going into a game. Yeah, um, I, I echo all of that, to be honest with you, and it's something I definitely can't wait for when I get back in there. Um, it's going to be some moments. Um, but yeah, that is all we've got time for. We will be back next week, um, and we'll look back on hopefully Liverpool finishing inside the top four and start looking ahead to next season. So thanks for listening, everyone.
This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts.